So I grew up in rural West Kentucky. Come on, somebody. Kentucky, any, any of the other Kentucky people in here? Yeah, someone in the back. Thank you. And so I grew up in rural West Kentucky. And, and, and so my dad, on my, at my dad's house, we had a few horses. And so they were in a pasture and there was a pond, right? And so in there, in the pond, that's where the horses would go to drink. So they would go and they would lean in and they would drink the water. Well, in wintertime, that pond would freeze, right? And so in order for the horses to be able to drink the water, my dad, one particular day, I'm about 10 years old, he says, Skylar, he gave me a tobacco stick, tobacco stick, see, the Kentucky slipped out, a tobacco stick, right? And I would walk around the edge and I would break through the ice, right? And so my dad tells me, though, he says, Skylar, I'm giving you an explicit warning and directions, all right? Listen to me, hear me. And I'm like, all right, dad, chill, what? And he says, when you walk around the pond, you need to watch where you walk, right? Because the pond's not like an even perfect circle, right? So sometimes it, it'll come in this way and the, 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 the edge of it isn't perfectly straight. It's a little rough. And so he says, watch where you walk so that you don't fall in. Well, I'm 10 and I know everything, right? Obviously, as 10-year-olds do. And so sure enough, I'm walking around the pond, not paying attention, I don't know, just staring off, I guess, and I step off onto the frozen pond, right? And it's thin ice. So I fall through the ice. And as I'm falling, I manage to get out like a, ah, you know, something out, I don't know. It's probably a much higher pitched squeal. And my dad hears me. And so I hit the water and I remember just the, being paralyzed with the cold water. And I like kind of bob to the surface, you know? And then my dad extends out the tobacco stick and I grab it. And with a few words I can't say in church, he pulls me back up onto dry land. So what was the moral of the story, right? I didn't listen. I was given explicit instructions on what to do, and yet I did not do those things. If I had listened to my dad, I would not have fallen into the ice cold water. I got a very explicit warning, but in my own arrogance, I didn't listen. I heard, right? I heard what was said to me, but I did not do what he said. I was given advice, watch where you walk, right? But I did not obey. How many of you know, hearing advice is great, but what good is hearing if you don't actually listen to what you were advised to do? Knowing a command is good, right? But really, what good is knowing that command if it's not obeyed? And unfortunately, I think in a lot of churches, there's lots of people with lots of Bible information, but they're actually not living the life that God has called them to live. They know the right words. They know the scriptures. They've heard the stories, right? We have lots of Bible information, but oftentimes we don't obey what the Bible says, what the Bible commands. And this may sound harsh. But surveys show that there is substantially no difference between Christians and the population at large on most moral and social beliefs and behaviors. Church, that cannot be the case if we are going to be effective in our mission. If we're going to be who God has called us to be, that can't be so. What good is knowing a command if you don't obey it? 
And so we are currently in week six of our sermon series going through the letter of James. And so the author starts off this letter by James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so historically and traditionally, we have attributed this book to James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he is writing to early Christians, Jewish Christians, who are now following Christ. And they have been dispersed outside of Israel because of persecution. And so James writes this letter as a letter of encouragement to his fellow Christians to remain patient and persevere in trials, right? Patient and persevere and look at their obstacles as joyous occasions, as joyous opportunities uh, to grow in spiritual maturity, to be more like Jesus. And he encourages us to live out the words that Jesus taught us. And he pulls largely from his big brother's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and it reads a lot like the Old Testament book of Proverbs. He condemns favoritism, pride, hypocrisy, and dead faith. But he writes to implore us as believers to live our lives with a different kind of wisdom, right? Not not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom, divine wisdom. And although the readers to whom he wrote are different from us in a lot of respects. The message is just as relevant now, today, as it was when James wrote it. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, be a doer of the word. If you got a Bible, hold it up. Let's do spiritual and brought a paper Bible to church. Don't be holding up your phone. Don't be doing that. We're going old school. Hold it up, smack your neighbor with it. Just hit them right at the top of the head. Say, bring your Bible next week. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 22. We're going to go to verse 27. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's no sweat, no sweat at all. Turn to the table of contents, right? The letter of James is a pretty short letter. It's about three or four pages, depending on your font size. It's in between Hebrews and 1 Peter. It's kind of towards the back of the book. When you're there, say, I'm there. There, I heard. Thank you, Dante. So let's dive into our text for this morning. But first... Disclaimer, right? I gave you guys a disclaimer last time. Got to get a disclaimer this time as well, right? And so James is a very challenging, convicting book. And a lot like Jesus, he's going to reveal our sin, right? He's going to reveal some things in us that we like to hide and like to pretend aren't there, right? He's going to lovingly, right, step on our toes a little bit. And he's going to reveal our sin, right, not to condemn us, but he's going to reveal our sin in order to reveal our need for Jesus. Amen? And so this can be a little bit convicting. It can be a little bit challenging. And also, I want to point out that that here at Rooftop, we believe that we are saved by grace, right? We are saved not by our works. We're not saved by our church attendance. We're not saved um, by the good things we do. We're not saved by the good deeds because there's no good deed that's ever going to get us to heaven. And we understand that because of the sin that exists in our heart. We believe that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to the cross to pay the price for our sins. Though he did no wrong, he paid our penalty. And that work on the cross was sufficient sufficient for our salvation, amen? So we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. But 
As followers of Jesus, we are saved by grace, not by works, but we get to do works. Amen. The Holy Spirit enters our lives and changes us and transforms us. And then we can't help but be like Christ. We can't help but do good works. Amen. So James chapter one, verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. First, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgot what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Not my words. Don't shoot the messenger, right? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the title of our message today is Man in the Mirror. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, Man in the Mirror. So what exactly is James talking about here? So last week we talked about, Kale talked about the word implanted, right? Which is able to save your souls. And so now in our text, James goes on to emphasize doing the word that has been implanted in us, imparted to us. And James shows us that hearing the word without doing what it says leads to deception. And he illustrates this with a man in the mirror who looks at himself in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like as soon as he's walked away. In verse 26, he uses another illustration of a man who claims to be religious, right? Yet he doesn't watch his mouth. And James says this man's religion is worthless. James then tells us, uh, hearing God's word and doing it, hearing God's word and doing the things that he has asked of us, that he's called us to do, leads to blessing, leads to right relationship with God. And in verse 26, he sheds some light on what that doing looks like. Bridling our tongue, caring for the vulnerable people of society, the widows and the orphans, and keeping oneself unstained from the world. And it's important to note that James is actually talking to church-going people. He's not writing to pagans, but he's writing to people who probably regularly hear the word of God. And probably they take some comfort in the fact that they hear God's word often, right? That puts them a notch above the pagans who don't even go to church, right? But James cuts through the heart Because of the service to their hearts, if you hear the commands of God, if you know the commands of God, but you don't obey, what good is that to you? And what good is that to anybody else? What good is it to hear a warning or a command if you're not listening to it? You're going to fall through the ice. You're going to miss out on what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. He has given us his word to reveal himself to us. Reveal who we are and reveal who he has called us to be. Shining lights for Jesus everywhere that we go. Church, I want to tell you, you're no good to the body of Christ if you're ignoring his commands and you're falling through the ice because you didn't listen. 
James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is he saying here? I actually think it's very simple, but it's hard to do, right? Love God and love your neighbor. The kind of religion God is looking for is the kind of religion that is loving God in a way that manifests itself in a love for others. And I'm not talking about lip service, right? I'm not talking about telling someone you love them without showing them. What if I just told my wife that I love her, but I didn't show her? What if I didn't spend any time with her or I didn't take her on dates? What would that reveal about my love? You would probably question it if that actually existed there. Exactly, you're right. It would mean I probably didn't love her. You, ru- you ruined the ending of the sermon. All right, guys, let's, let's get out of here. Worship team, come on back up. My words would be wasted because I didn't show it with my actions, right? That's what James is warning us of. You're right. So we must not just be hearers of the word, but we must be doers of the word. Because there is brokenness, there are people suffering and hurting, there are people using drugs and alcohol to fill holes in their hearts, there are people with shattered dreams battling depression and anxiety and it feels like the whole world is caving in around them. There are people who are weak and who are vulnerable, there are people who are in need of the light that we have that is found in Christ Jesus. So we can't be the kind of church who gathers here on Sunday in Jesus' name, hears the word proclaimed, says some pretty prayers, sings some pretty songs that we don't really believe, and then go out and act nothing like the Jesus that we profess to know. We can't do that. There's too much at stake for us to just be hearers who do nothing. To hear the word without doing it leads to self-deception. To study the word just to fill your head with Bible knowledge while not applying it to your life short-circuits God's purpose in giving it to you. Whew, start sweat up here, man. I'm about to start preaching, y'all. Gotta give me some feedback or I'm gonna just get louder. So, in my prep, I found three signs from the text that you are a hearer only and not a doer. And I want us all to examine our hearts this morning. So number one, hearers only of the word, take a quick glance, but don't do anything to fix what it is they see. So James uses an illustration of a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, rushes out the door, and then completely forgot what he saw. Right, maybe he had a couple days of stubble, right? Maybe he slept weird on his hair. And his hair's all sticking out weird, right? You know what I'm talking about. But he's late for work. He kind of smooths it down really quick. And then he runs out the door, even though he looks like he just got out of bed, right? The mirror has revealed to him the problems, but he didn't fix the things that it had revealed to him. The mirror showed him his problems, but he didn't fix anything. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Here's my point. The word of God is like a mirror that reveals to us the very thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. In church, it shows us our ugly, self-centered attitudes. It exposes our pride. It confronts our contempt for others. It confronts and calls out our lack of compassion. It uncovers our deception, our greed, and our lust. But we can't just take a quick glance once in a rare while. You can't just come in here and hear it proclaimed and then rush out the door without doing the things that it is revealed to you. It won't do you or the world any good. To be doers of the word, you've got to give it more than a passing attention. It requires deliberate focus and hard work to apply it to your life personally. So I want to ask you, what has the word revealed to you? When you study God's word, when you listen to God's word proclaimed, what's happening on the inside of you? Because I know your sin is getting revealed. Do you rush out the door and forget like you didn't hear it? Do you confront the problems in your life that you see the word of God revealed to you? Do you confront those things so you can look more like Christ, so you can be more effective in the kingdom? Or do you push those things down and try to act like they're not really there? Because you can come in here and put on a smiling face and act like everything is okay. The hearer and doer looks intently at the word. Come on, this is somebody who doesn't just take a quick glance and then run out the door. The blessed hearer and doer who is in right relationship with God and right standing with God and others is going to look at the mirror. They're going to see the dirt. They're going to see the blemishes on their face and they're going to take the time to make some corrections. And I'm not talking about literal blemishes. I'm talking about the sin that exists in our hearts. Take the time to read God's word and ask him to apply it to your life, not just outwardly, but inside of your heart. Number two, hearers only of the word forget what they heard. Forget what they heard. The main point of James' illustration about the man in the mirror is that he quickly forgets what he saw in the mirror, right? The mirror is not at fault here, okay? It, it tells it like it is. It shows us what we really look like, but this person takes a quick glance at it and then forgets. They're a forgetful hearer, and so they do nothing to fix the problems they see in the mirror. I don't think James is actually describing someone with a poor memory, but rather someone with poor priorities. He doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror because he doesn't regard it as very important, right? God, Jesus, heaven, eternal life, love thy neighbor, and all these other doctrines found in the Bible, they're interesting and nice, right? But this guy, he's got a career to pursue. He's got money to make. He's got hobbies and toys that are his passion. He doesn't want to donate to charity or help the homeless. He wants to keep his money. They don't want to stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend that they're not married to. They don't want to stop sleeping with other, someone else's spouse. They don't want to stop lying, right? And he forgets what God's word says about his sin because really, it just isn't that important compared to all the other important things that he's got in his life. 
Not you all, the, the hypothetical man in, in the story. When I was a kid, my parents would tell me to clean my room, and then they'd come back in an hour, and guess what? My room wasn't cleaned at all, right? And naturally, they'd be mad at me, and then I'd say, sorry, I forgot, right? You guys know? Sorry, I forgot. That, that's what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't forget. I was, yes, you're right. I was lying. I didn't forget. I didn't have a memory problem. Cleaning my room just wasn't my main priority. I had better things to do. I had other things that I would rather do than listen and do what I was commanded to do, right? So hearers only take a quick glance at the mirror of the word. They see the problems. It is revealed to them plainly. But they don't do anything to fix the problems that they see. Why? Well, they forgot what they see because other things are more important to them. They forgot not because they have poor memories. It's because they have poor priorities. God's kingdom is not their main priority. Fulfilling their lustful desires is. God's kingdom is not number one priority. Fulfilling their selfish ambition is, right? The hearer and the doer is going to apply the word, not just on the outside, not just coming to church with a smile on their face, but in their heart. Deal with the issues that God's word reveals to us. Because God is not necessarily always after your happiness. God is much more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. And James' audience were first century Jews who perhaps prided themselves on outwardly keeping the law, right? James knew that many of them kept the law outwardly, but their hearts were very far from God. James says in verse 26, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Scholars like Douglas Moo would argue that the perfect law of liberty here is referring to the new covenant promise of the law written on our hearts, right? Accompanied by a work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit entering into our lives, he says, enabling obedience to the law for the very first time. God's word applied to our hearts by Uh, The power of the Holy Spirit frees us from the bondage of sin. And we must apply that word on every level of our lives, not just on the outside, but on the inside of our hearts. Number three, hearers only end up deceiving themselves. James mentions this twice in, in verse 22 and again in 26. There is, he said, claims an inherent danger in attending church where God's word is proclaimed week to week, right? Because if you hear the word, but you don't put it into practice, you've deceived yourself. You can lull yourself into a false sense of security just because you think you attend church, right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to Krispy Kreme doesn't make you a donut, right? Okay? So we're on the same page here. So the solution is not to avoid hearing the word though, right? But rather to apply it to the problems in your life that the word uncovers. 
In verse 26, James gives us a practical example of someone who hears the word but doesn't do it. And so they're deceived. Their hearts are deceived. This man thinks he's religious. And so religious is actually an infrequently word used in the New Testament. So James uses this word here because he's describing a man who, is, who prides himself on the outward trappings of faith, but who actually doesn't really have it. They have not applied it to their heart. They haven't applied it to their heart. He claims to be religious. Perhaps he knows the scriptures, right? He knows the stories, perhaps. He even goes to church, maybe. But in Jesus' example, he doesn't bridle his tongue. And Jesus tells us, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says, this man deceives his own heart, and his religion is worthless, And James will do more with the tongue in chapter 3, and we'll get to that later. But if you profess to follow Christ, but you don't apply the Bible to every aspect of your life, if you don't apply it to your speech, you're fooling yourself into thinking that you're religious. According to James, according to God's word, if you don't bridle your tongue, and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and you tear other people down, and you cuss all the time, and you tell filthy jokes, your religion is worthless, and your profession of faith is empty. And the solution to the problem is to not just be a hearer, but be a doer. So how do we, right, how do we look into the mirror of God's law of liberty, and how do we live in that? Because there's so much hurting in the world and brokenness. There are people who are vulnerable and in need of help, in need of the light that you have in Christ. And we've got to understand that as followers of Jesus, you are Christ's ambassadors here on earth. And Jesus did not neglect the sick and the poor. He cared for those that society had pushed out. He cared for the downtrodden. And he cared for the worn out in spirit. He cared for those people. And he loved those people. And we are called to do the same thing. We have to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. So how do we do that? And James tells us, I love James because he's just so like forthright. I don't even have to come up with like points that have the same letter and all that. He just gives you the application right here. Don't be a forgetful hearer who doesn't prioritize the word of God and his commands. He tells us, analyze your heart. Read God's word and ask God to open up your heart so that you can see the sin that exists within you. You can look into the mirror and see the blemishes. Analyze your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to enter into your life, to step on your toes and to disrupt your heart and to disrupt your mind and make you look more like Jesus. And he gives us some practical steps here. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled is this. Visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so James writes that there is a form of religious expression, right, that is pure and undefiled before God. It is simple, but not necessarily easy. He says, visit widows and orphans in their suffering. And so uh, that word there, visit, the Greek word actually means work, right? It's the same word used in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what is he, is he saying there? He's saying serve the vulnerable. Do some good works for the vulnerable. Help those in need. And don't let yourself be polluted and stained by the ways of the world. Be different. Be set apart. Be the people that I have called you to be who are different, who don't look like everybody else. 
And as with all verses, we need to carefully understand the point that the author is trying to make. And James is not restricting right religion to literally only widows and orphans, right? At this time and in this culture, this, the, the statement, these people represented society's most helpless members. Widows in that culture were women who had lost their husbands prior to childbearing. This left them destitute, right? They had nothing. Children without parents and women without husbands were among the culture's most needy and in desperate need of help. And according to this first pure religion, what God's really after is defined by caring those who are in need, caring for people, caring for those who need help and avoiding the sins of the world. And so when the New Testament speaks of the world, it usually means the world system, right? Of the culture, the ways of the world, which is the fallen, sin-soaked attitude of humanity, which rejects God, rejects his ways, rejects his advice, rejects his wisdom. And later in this letter, James is going to describe worldly wisdom as, as bitter envy and selfish ambition. And so to be unstained by the world means that we refuse to be driven by our own appetites and our own desires and our own selfish goals. It means not compromising and, and being a part of a system that is opposed to God and his ways. And just as James pointed out in James 1, 5 through 8, the world's wisdom is not God's wisdom. God's wisdom is caring for those. It's putting yourself last. God first, other second, yourself last. Caring for those who are in need. Having a burden on your heart for those who are desperately in need of the light that you have that is found only in Christ Jesus. Amen? Say amen so I can take a break. Thank you. So as we close... I want to read one more passage of scripture, and I think this is where James, uh, Jesus' little brother, got this whole idea of being a doer and not a hearer. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rain fell, floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying here, right, blessed is the person who hears and does, and woe to the person who hears these words, who has their sin revealed to them by the mirror, and then ignores it and doesn't do what they've been commanded. And what has he just talked about? He just wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount, teaching people how to live their lives built on the foundation that is Jesus, living the life that Jesus has called us to live, dedicated to God, dedicated to pleasing him, free of hypocrisy, right? Full of love, full of love for God, full of love for neighbors, and a desire to live out our lives with godly wisdom. And he's pointing to himself. He's revealing to us, he has revealed the greatest act of doing of all time, the greatest act of sacrificial love, the greatest act of loving God and loving your neighbor. Come on, somebody. Jesus is revealing to us the cross. 
Jesus went to the cross for you and for me to save us and change us and transform us from the sinful, broken people that we are into self-giving saints who are willing to lay down our lives for our neighbor, who are willing to go out and change a city, who are willing to go out and be shining lights for Jesus everywhere that we go. This is the mission. Are you on board, church? Because we can't afford you on the sidelines. You've got to know God's word. You've got to know what he says. You've got to repent of your sins. Because his word is a mirror and it's revealing something to you right now as I'm talking. I know the Holy Spirit is in this place and he's moving and he's working and he's active and he's churning something up in your heart right now. And are you going to listen? Are you going to hear the warning? Are you going to listen to what God is saying right now and stirring something up in your heart? And are you going to go? And are you going to do? Are you going to be a doer? And the only way to do this is to not just be a hearer, but be a doer, is by making Jesus your Lord and Savior, recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of the sins that exist in your heart, and allowing the Holy Spirit to enter into your heart and change your life. I'm telling you, this is the best decision that you're ever going to make. That's what His his Word has revealed to us. That we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior and we've got to repent and we've got to give our lives to Jesus and we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and change us so we can change the world. And because of the great love with which He loved us, we are set free from sin and we are empowered by His Holy Spirit to go out and be the people He has called us to be, devoted to loving God and loving others. And one of the ways that we can can share the love of Christ is by our actions, by doing, not just being hearers here on Sunday morning, but by people who go out Monday through Sunday, shining the light of the gospel. And as followers of Jesus, he has called us to care for people everywhere that we go. He's called us to build our lives on him. He is the firm foundation. Build our lives on his love and allow him to lead us. And that kind of love to everyone around us. Amen.